listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. Good morning and good day and good whatever, just good anything, here from the high towers of 3CR and from Left After Breakfast. Susanna here with you and we'll be hearing from the usual suspects Just one thing I've noticed this week, listener. When was the last time you made a phone call from a phone box? Can you remember? Um, I think I can, but I'm not sure if there are any phone boxes left. But Telstra made an announcement that all those public telephones are going to be free. They say they've got 15,000 of them. Well, that's across all of Australia and God knows where they are. But Future generations may never know the thrill of making a reverse charge call to their parents. What a shame. So you can't be standing in the phone box looking around for change or trying to get, you know, through to someone, especially trying to call critical services. You just don't have to worry about a pocket full of coins anymore, so don't worry about it. I'd like to start my morning, of course, with Bella Chow to get me in the mood. But I want to tell you that I've got something really, oh, well, pretty bloody good coming up. And it's from Kutcher Edwards and Jack Davis. And it's part of Kutcher's Kurioki. So I'll play that for you a little later on. You'll be thrilled. Well, I was when I first heard it. And I know you will be.
there's plenty of specialist music programs to choose from on the 3CR grid. Explore the 3CR schedule online at 3cr.org.au. Yes, this is our vibration. Check out Music Sans Frontier. Great voices. Music matters. The hip sister hop show. The heavy session. The Planet X radio show. Satellite skies. Shindig. Sweet dreams. Tune in to 3CR 855 AM on your digital radio or streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Let our music make you happy. Well, listener, if you're feeling happy after hearing some music, I'm sorry to have to bring you back down to reality. I mean, we have to really think about what is happening with our government, what is happening with our country. We can't sit back and let this keep going. We have to do something, even if it's just getting to the ballot box when it's time for the election and getting your friends and your neighbours and heavens above total strangers that you run into on train stations i spend a lot of time talking to strangers on train stations about this government i spend a lot of time talking to people on buses about this government too well that's because i'm traveling around on trains and buses you may not be but you will come across someone and you will be able to explain to that someone why we have to vote this government out. Now, I don't normally go on, and I haven't really over the years gone on about how you've got to vote this way or vote that way. I just take it if, that if you're listening to 3CR, you're obviously a person with some brains, and you know about voting, and you know about the best way to get rid of a government you don't want. You vote them out. In fact, I don't think any government is actually voted in. They are voted out. But let's just have a look at Prime Minister Smirko. Sorry, I should call him by his name. It's not Smirko, it's Scott. Although he did make up that little tag for himself. I'm not going to use it. But anyway, let's have a look at him. No one will ever say of him, as they did of John Howard, like him or not, at least you knew what he stood for, because none of us know what Morrison stands for. Do you know what he stands for? Look, if someone asked you in a roving street survey or somewhere where you got a $5,000 prize for the correct answer, what does Morrison stand for? What would you answer? Well, you could think himself, which is what I would say. That would be my answer straight away. Himself. Some people might say, God. Look, his belief in his God has never been adequately addressed. Not when it comes to his political leadership. But if he believes in God, assuming, looking at that religion, that he believes in a devil, a literal devil, you know, some little twisted little turdy figure with a barbed tail and, and, I don't know, you know, claws and a pitchfork and all those things that I can remember from childhood on somewhere, on a lithograph somewhere. Awful stuff. And should we also be thinking that 
Pentecostalism is the only Christian denomination that hasn't endorsed the call for climate change action. I believe there is another religion that also doesn't endorse it, but it's that religion that has got five members, you know, five family members somewhere in USA, and they go around saying disgusting things at people's funerals. But we're not concerned about them. We're concerned about the Prime Minister here. What does he believe in, listener? Take a guess. Does he believe in the Liberal Party? The Canberra Times editor Jack Waterford says that Morrison's personal political prospects are fundamental. I quote, He has an enormous capacity to believe that anything in his own interest or in the government's short-term political interest is in the public interest, even when it is in breach of the law, in breach of the decencies and undermines long-standing institutions and conventions. His leadership style is evasive and reactive, and he is reluctant to take responsibility except in a rote or performative sense for his government's mistakes. And how has he behaved during this dreadful plague that we're going through now? The most complex and difficult decisions, like on lockdowns and other restrictions and other restrictions, were left to state premiers. And this was usually in the middle of active discouragement from him and sniping. The worst thing, of course, is his failure with the vaccine rollout, or as the BL from the bush calls it, the vaccine strollout. The worst thing, the most unedifying thing, has been to watch his various attempts to dodge blame. Gosh, it makes me so mad watching him on television. I have to turn it off. You know, I've seen kids do this, and they do it better. First of all, he just denied reality. I mean, for how long did he claim Australia was on track, if not leading the pack? Then came excuses. The withdrawal and renaming of vaccination targets, or horizons, or phases the appointing of a military leader to run the operation, and then he's blaming the government's medical advisers. That's the Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunisation. Yeah, well, A-T-A-G-I. And not once has Smirko Morrison ever acknowledged that his government initially secured large numbers of only one vaccine and was predictably caught short when the advice changed. During the most difficult times of the pandemic, he just disappeared, just gone, whoosh, days at a time, where is he? And when he wanted to relay some bad news, sometimes it went on a late-night Facebook post. Oh, and of course, the non-pandemic issues that are the most revealing about the soul of our Prime Minister. In response to allegations against then-Attorney-General Christian Porter, Morrison refused to hold an independent inquiry, accepted Porter's word without even bothering to read the allegations. Since Brittany Higgins was allegedly raped in Parliament House... Morrison's office has expended far more effort covering up what it knew than doing anything to help Higgins or other women in danger in that workplace. This investigation into what he knew has been running since March. 
He refused to attend or address the March for Justice. He refused to meet with a delegation of former emergency service bosses to hear their warnings about the threat of climate change, just as he refused to meet with a delegation of university leaders to discuss the dire state of higher education since the pandemic began. And, of course, the corruption. Oh, look, the outrageous car parks. It's just, it's not even funny, the stuff about the car parks. And Bridget McKenzie, who departed following the sports wars, is back in the ministry. He's a coward. I'd say that's what Morrison is, a coward. Amongst other crimes, of course, but cowardice I find difficult to handle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. I should quickly say, listener, that my views on Prime Minister Smirko or Scott or whatever his name is, Morrison, are my views. They are mine. They are not the views of 3CR management. Well, not necessarily the views of 3CR management. But just to shake off the doom and gloom for a moment, dear listener, here's that something special that I promised you earlier. And it's called Kuchas Kurioki. And I think you'll enjoy this. You know, I picked up the guitar last night when I got home. Yeah. I have a go at Jimmy Little's Telephone to Glory. Telephone to Glory, oh, what joy divine I can feel. Uh, but I sing it in a very, very low register. Because you've you know, got that. Because i got this deep voice. Yeah. Uh, you used to carry a little guitar I used to carry the... a guitar everywhere I went. Yeah. And up here... Outside Safeways. Sing Dark as a Dungeon, Jack. I'll give you five bucks if you sing Dark as a Dungeon. What oh. was your biggest haul one day? Uh, oh, uh, I, I was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> about uh, 400, well. something like that. So, Jackie, you like the Phoenix Rising. <laughs> You've had a few goes at uh, JC himself. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Coming, yes. coming back from... The Dead? Oblivion? Yes, 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 yes. So uh, I'm going to play a song called Get Back Up Again. Right. So many times, my friend, I've had to stand and fight. So many times I've been told it'll be all right. Don't matter if you get knocked down and suffer so much pain. As long as you can find the strength, get back up again. Oh, yeah. Get back up again. All about you, Jackie. Mm-hmm. Getting up after we've been knocked down. And how many times we've been knocked down, Jack? Oh, so many times, mate. Walking down Smith Street, what does it actually mean to you? I'm uplifted. My heart soars when I'm walking down uh, Smith Street. Yeah. I befriended a lot of these shopkeepers. I give them the wink and the nod. I don't know their names. They know my name, I presume. Yeah. 
and they know my story or portions of it. Yeah. But yes, I get a joy in just walking along. Yeah. And um, uh, seeing people that uh, feel they know me and are compelled to uh, say something, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hello, mate. Hey, Howdy. Good to see you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Get on, yeah. There you go. There you go, uh, you see? Did you know who that guy was? No, I don't know him, no. <laughs> <laughs> and that's proof positive that if one uh, a local lad like myself is seen to be changing from uh, being a serial pest nuisance to that of... Uh, of a leading light in my community. Mm. I, I like to keep an eye on my community. We come together in a place like this, and that's why we call it one of our great uh, mm. um, gathering places. I do remember uh, years back uh, when I was a little one, these flats being built mm. and that, and houses around here, and then I started to see... So there was alleyway, alleyways? There was one alleyway here, yes, yes, yeah. I remember that. And uh, I've always amazed at the fact that we're still here, Coach. Mm. Mm. We have stuck fat. You come into the community mm. and you see everybody, you see all their struggles still, you know, haven't changed that much. Hey! Hey! Tracy! Hello. How Hello, are you, Dad. love? All right? Oh, good. Good to see you, eh? Uh, I've just got to let you know you're being filmed as as we oh. speak. Oh, I you film that. That's why I like walking along Smith Street Strip, mate. Uh, we must come together to get back up again. Let's get back up again. Amen. Oh, there you go. Coocher and Uncle Jack doing some karaoke along Smith Street. And we'll hear now from the 3CR resident historian. And Glenn today reminds us that the date of July the 4th is remembered for many things, not just one. July 4 is a day we often look at history as a day but the Americans, um, well, this time the Australians couldn't achieve. They uh, dispensed the British monarchy as a head of state. But I want to cast my mind for different July 4 to the coal fields of Yorkshire in England in 1836. A disaster. We go back to Wednesday, July 4, 1836, a warm sunny day above the coal fields at Moraine Colliery and adjoining Husker Pit. And in these, in these underground hellholes, men, children work together. And they had to make up for lost time and money. They've had four days unpaid holidays to recognise Queen Victoria's coronation. There's 100 children, 70 miles down his pit. He had the man of a house, the strongest person. He'd be doing the hard yards. The wife and children work as um, what called trappers and harriers. They helped move the coal from the rock face to the surface. Among the children that day was a young lad, seven years of age, Joseph Birkinshaw. He'd been there for three days. His dad, John, was there. And George, George uh, Birkinshaw, probably 10 years a harrier. And these little lads, these little kids earned about average of 2.5 pence a day. They were for 12 hours in the dirty, filthy pits of England. And this is how the, uh, this is how the ruling class made their money. And the kids had different roles. There was, um, there was what was called the, was the harriers. The harriers would push the coal tubs. They'd drain the coal tubs around. And other kids would work to open this trap. They'd open and close the doors. And this day, it was a lovely summer day, July 436, and then the heavens opened. And the rain poured down. Streams was overflowed. And the miners in the pit, they started to hear the sounds and all of a sudden above rain. And they thought, hmm, time to get out. But um, 
It's done the flooding way. So they stood William Lamb prepared the evacuation. But the ballroom was flooded, and they couldn't get a fire for the furnace to lift the wine out of the shaft. So they just did it manually. So Lamb told everyone to stay together at the bottom of the pits. And the children down below, they heard the noise. They thought it was a fire lamp explosion. They realized it was a thunderclap. The kids had been undergrounded for nine hours that day. Nine hours. And I four of the kids ignored Lamb's instructions. I ran outside to go their own way. They climbed the thin roof up the husked roof towards the opening. Of those 40 kids, one was Lamb's own son, eight-year-old George. To the two Wright brothers, Isaac 12, Abraham Wright. And they knew their father died last year in a mine explosion. They were in the same fight as him. But what they didn't know was near the top of the entrance was a scream which was now swollen from a raging torrent. So as these 40 kids thought they had rescued themselves, they got to safety at the top of the shaft. They were horrified to be confronted by this torrent, this raging stream, which swept them aside. And of the 40 children who tried to escape that hellhole, 26 drowned. Four of others escaped, whatever by a man called Francis Garnett. He had four children working down below, one of whom died. I mentioned the two younger Wright brothers earlier. They died. The Berkshire boys, including a seven-year-old boy on his third day of work, he drowned as well. And her father, he, uh, he survived. He died at the age of 35 next year. And this was the life of the miner. This was the, the British Empire. There was a uh, big inquest held afterwards. The children were taken to Thrussell Hole Farm and they were transferred by car to their homes across the area. An inquest was held in the Red Line Hotel where a jury inspected the bodies. They decided they all drowned by drowning. That's bad grammar. <laughs> they died by drowning, sorry. And on Saturday, June 7th, June 7th of July, so on Saturday, 7th of July, thousands attended the funeral. There were seven graves put together, 11 girls in three graves, 15 boys in another four graves. The mine owners provided coffins and shrouds and a memorial. And uh, this led to this horrible this disaster. 26 kids drowning. Godness me, what do you say? But what happened, every negative has some sort of positive. And this disaster broke the Royal Commission Inquiry released in the Mines Act. And the Mines Act prohibits not women and girls working in the mines. And made little boys aged 10. But you were aged under 10, you couldn't work in the mines anymore. And this broke, it's in the first changes for industrial health and safety. And yeah, just a horrible disaster. Like I said, there's a, a positive. There were mines that put in place. There were changes made. But 26 kids aged 7 are saying being drowned at work. What is the size of English society in the Victorian era? How far have we come? Anyway, as someone who's been in health and safety for most of the last 35 years, I realize the importance of work of being organized. And, you know, you don't go to work injured or be killed, you know. Half and safety is, is a right for the privilege. Let's look at the sad memory of these kids who drowned the Husker mine. Let's make sure that no more workers' lives are lost for the profits of the employer class. We have to come together and it's our fight to build a safer workplace and a better future. Anyway, my name is Glenn. You're listening to me. And I'm here on Friday morning. I'm on Suzanne Duffy's left after breakfast. I'm Ray Tricia. And until I return next Friday, in the words of my four bears, I will say, Chakula. Come and listen, you fellas, so young and so fine, and seek not your fortune in the dark, dreary mine, where the demons of death often come by surprise. One fall of the slate, and you're buried alive, where it's dark as a dungeon and damp as the dew, where the danger. Doubled and pleasures are few 
where the rain never falls and the sun never shines. It's dark as a dungeon way down in the mine. It's a many a man I have known in my day who lived just to labor his whole life away like a fiend with his dope and a drunkard his wine a man will have lust for the lure of the mines where it's dark as a dungeon and damp as the dew where the danger is double and pleasures are few where the rain never falls and the sun never shines it's dark as a dungeon way down in the mine shall roll my body will blacken and turn into coal then I'll look from the door of my heavenly home and pity the miner digging my bones where it's dark as a dungeon and damp as the dew where danger is double and pleasures are few Where the rain never falls and the sun never shines it's dark as a dungeon way down in the mine I'll fix your flat tire mill ah good morning you're listening to 3CR the only radio left another treat this morning listener It's time for Ask Bucko, he'll tell you. And today he's going to tell us about cheap on the things that matter. Sometimes it's hard to believe the careful money managers spin on Australian federal spending. Of course it masks what looks like negligence towards other Australians or a really nasty attitude toward those citizens who lack the political muscle or the platform to question some very poor policies. These decisions can really carry life-changing consequences. When the Treasurer of Australia cut JobSeeker back to an effective starve or freeze rate, meaning if you're lucky enough to have a roof over your head, do you eat or do you, do you run the heater? He certainly struck a blow for budgetary discipline. The main problem was that not only did he consign many of his fellow citizens to making that choice, but by necessity their children and grandchildren. You can take the boy out of Kuyong, but can you get the Kuyong out of the boy? Does Josh Frydenberg know anyone from outside his gilded circle? If not, does that make him unsuitable for this public office, or at least an office which regulates the level of welfare that he allocates to keep together the bodies and souls of our most disadvantaged citizens? Comparing his life with yours, school at the two of the best and most expensive schools in Melbourne, a gap year playing tennis, and then he picked up a couple of uh, double de- uh, two degrees at Monash Uni, Economics and Law. Where did Josh go next? Decisions, decisions, Oxford or Yale. Oxford, and he even got a scholarship. Clearly not means-tested, but he rounded out his education post-Oxford at Harvard. 
When he actually started working at age 28, he did so firstly as an advisor to Darrell Williams, the Attorney General of Australia, and then to Alexander Downer, Foreign Affairs Minister. His uh, next gig was with John Howard, the Prime Minister. Such high-ranking jobs for someone who was just out of school. Obviously, he learnt a lot because his next position was as Director of Global Banking with Deutsche Bank. As they say, the rest is history. This young man is an admirer of Margaret Thatcher and of Ronald Reagan for their economic policies. Did such privilege leave him any options? Does he even know what it is to struggle, even with a relatively good job? Did he labour late into the night, thinking of the outcomes he was mandating for hundreds of thousands of Australians? Does he believe that endlessly repeating jobs over welfare means anything to someone who struggles with literacy or someone who has no practical skills or the other bogey of the Australian right, the addict who cannot find treatment or maybe doesn't even search for it? Does such an Australian deserve a life of misery because many see it as a lifestyle choice? This is where the rubber hits the road. We're all Australians and surely we believe that no Australian should be left to starve or to wither away on the social vine. Most of us want to pay taxes so that our fellow citizens can eat. For a certain class of Australian, the poor deserve nothing. At the same time that Josh Frydenberg dropped the job seeker rate, he also dropped job keeper. Many large and profitable companies actually profited from the program, which was designed to keep staff on during the pandemic. When asked about this apparent profiteering, Frydenberg's close friend and leader, Mr Morrison, said, I'm not into the politics of envy. He dismissed concerns about companies accepting millions of dollars from taxpayers under the JobKeeper scheme and using some of it to pay executive bonuses and dividends. If there are some companies that feel they want to hand that money back, great. Good for them. But let's not lose sight in some sort of envy narrative that that program did not change the course of the nation. This from the man who presided over the robo-debt scam scandal, where the government pursued welfare recipients for debts, for debts which were at best doubtful and subsequently ruled illusory due to a lack of process. The first place to look for relief, or some Commonwealth-type thinking, ought to be the press, press gallery. But with very few notable exceptions, it's really just another collection of educated, mid-to-upper-middle-class careerists all seemingly hell-bent on a professorship somewhere. So the notion of hard-nosed professionals calling out inhumane policies, institutionalised theft and misappropriation of funds, not to mention naked cronyism, is the stuff of fairy tales. Perhaps we could use the opposition as a break on the opportunism and the dishonesty. Sadly, that appears to be a dead-end street as well. It's become a principle-free environment as the party of reform seeks to take back the tiller of our corrupt little boat. Past history shows similar day-to-day -day malfeasance, although with leaders in the past who seemingly did believe in some form of common good purpose. This meant, in practical terms, less obvious contempt for governmental norms. So governments before this one were possibly slightly less corrupt. Who to turn to? The people, sadly, have taken on some of the beliefs of the ruling party. If you're poor or disabled, disadvantaged, you deserve to be poor. If you're obscenely rich, God loves you and you're getting what you deserve. The only solution would be to start with a National Integrity Commission, make it hard and dangerous for these people to mess with the national wealth. Secondly, perhaps a week spent in one of our provincial towns, a visit to the local food bank, the supermarket the day before Dole Day, and lastly, have a look at the local Selvo store. 
and stop paying yourselves to go to work. $290 a night to go to work in, in a town that you've probably bought a flat in, that's Canberra, and it's not even taxable. No wonder we don't trust them. And Josh maybe should move seats in Parliament. Watching him smirk when Morrison cavorts about does neither of them a favour. Thanks for listening. As they say, ask Bucko, he'll tell you. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. Well, good morning, Bagman. Yes, good morning, Susan, on this lovely Friday morning. Um, it's great to be alive um, at the moment. Look, I've got a heartfelt plea from someone, Alan, in his queue. Now, this plea comes from the bottom of his heart, and he really means it. And he says, can we please stop referring to Scott Morrison as a Christian? Now, the man attends a Pentecostal church, full stop. This does not make him a Christian. Alan goes on to say, I attend Melbourne Symphony Orchestra concert. It does not make me a violinist. Morrison, like so many of his brethren, are party hacks. It's entirely selective in which Christian teaching he opts to follow. Do not hold innocent people hostage. Let's be more discerning about the way we talk about Mr. Morris. So good on you, Alan, for writing, and good on you for that heartfelt plea uh, on on your behalf and probably on our behalf also. Alan, fair enough. But he says, but he says attending the symphony orchestra doesn't make him a violinist. Well, I reckon that's drawing a long bow. It's like comparing apples and oranges. Quite different. Well, it's like us, Susan. We've been doing a radio program for 34 years every Friday morning, but it does not make us shock jocks. Sometimes I wouldn't mind a bit of shock jockery. Hey, we're going we, we're to talk about shock jocks uh, in a minute because apparently... Now, I know you don't believe Santa Claus himself. You must think that all your Christmases have come at once this week because there's a, a social medium, and you've probably heard about it, called YouTube. Now, YouTube has actually banned guy news uh, because of their stance against COVID-19. Now, they banned them for a, a short period of time. I would like to know how people on Sky News, and I'm talking about Paul Murray, Alan Jones, Rowan Dean, Rita Panahai, and, of course, uh, Peter Credlin, how they, get, how they get away with promoting misinformation about COVID-19. And guess what? ACMA, the uh, media authority, has done nothing about it. It was up to YouTube to actually ban them. Now, what's the use of Australian media authority if they're not going to police the misinformation that Sky News gives out on a daily basis from these, well, got to be careful about the way you talk about them, but I would call them rat bags. We've got Paul Murray from Sky News who still refers to... to uh, um, 
Who was the president of the United States? I've forgotten about him. Trump. Trump. That's right. Donald Trump. He still refers to him, refers to him as the great man. Now, Alan Jones discourages people from wearing masks, um, tells people that COVID-19 is basically just like the flu. And you've got Rowan Dean, who was a staunch anti-environmentalist, um, and they promote uh, these views on television on a nightly basis. Now, APRA, they should have been banning them, not YouTube. Well, you have to complain. Oh, I, I have complained, but I've complained at, to YouTube before. I see stuff on YouTube. I write a, a letter of complaint, short, sweet, with a link to what I'm complaining about. And I've complained about Sky News on YouTube to YouTube. They're well, very quick to get rid of people. Well, but they have taken notice of your complaints over the months and years, Susan, and they have actually banned them. The people you should be writing to to make a complaint is the Australian Communications and Media Authority to make sure that they are doing their job um, and making sure... Look, if we were to put out misinformation about COVID-19 or misinformation about anything. ACMA would be uh, down on our throats uh, before you could shake a lamb's tail. Golly, yes. Golly, yes. Ah, oh, we can't even say food tastes like cardboard without someone jumping down our throat. Well, you know, uh, the complaints we've had over the years when I referred to as the Boy Scouts as being a a training ground for pedophiles, they wanted to go after us. Now, 80,000 young men in America have lodged uh, legal complaints against the Boy Scouts of America for sexual abuse. We've been tackled by the Scientologists. <laughs> we, we refer to, to them as a cult. Oh, well, I'm sorry about that. I apologise for that. I well, should never have called them a cult. They're uh, a, uh, what are they? Uh, what are they? They're a registered church. They're a church. They're a church. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I called them a cult. I didn't mean it. I was misinformed. I was ignorant. I'm just an Australian, you know. I'm just a feeler. I don't get much. Sorry, it's a church. Are they Christian? Susan, I believe you have the right call. Um, the people that run the government under Scott Morris as members of a Pentecostal cult uh, because there are up to 11, uh, 13 people who are in, in the ministry of Scott Morrison who belong to a Pentecostal cult. Well, here we go again, Bagman. We yeah. don't want the weight of all these. Uh, I nearly said a word then I should not have said. We don't want these people jumping on us. It's not a cult. Surely it's a church. It's a no, Pentecostal well, church. Yeah, the, the, well, we're not naming the church. We're just saying the Pentecostal um, members. It's of, a branch, uh, is it? Yeah. Well, a chapter. What do you call them? A chapter, just like the plumbers used to be, a chapter. A chapter, just like just like we're recovering Catholics because we've done the 12 steps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Susan, 
I, I observed me very, very much. But uh, today is 178 days since Brittany Higgins reported a brutal rape in Parliament to the federal police. That's right, 178 days. Now, this case has got a rotten stench about it, a stench of corruption and political cover-up by the Liberal government and the federal police. Now, the simple fact is, uh, 178 days gives the police the federal police, plenty of time to investigate. Now, we've got vision of this young woman escorted into Parliament House while under the influence of alcohol, I'll suggest. Now, we know the person who signed her in. We know the person who took her to uh, Minister Reynolds' office. We know the person who was seen leaving Parliament House. It's all on film. And also on film is the security guard who found Brittany Higgins naked lying on the couch in Minister Reynolds' office. Now, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong. And I'm going to say the federal police are going to come up fairly soon and say, Ah, nothing to see here. Move along, folks. Not enough evidence. All I can say to that is shame, shame, shame. Well, there's no other word, is there, except shame. Look, I've got to the stage bag, man. Yeah. That, look, this federal government just has to go. Now, okay, I've been against governments before in my life. Of course I have. And I've said before, I'll get rid of the buggers. But I was pretty savage about Tony Abbott. I thought you can't scrape the barrel any lower. How wrong I was. But these people have to go. You have to talk to all your neighbours, to everyone you meet when you're in the waiting room at the dentist, everywhere you go and tell them this government has to go and we'll do it legally via the ballot box yes that's the only way susan but i've got some i've got some ideas of my own which a lot of people won't really like and i think if there was an election call today that the morrison government would win simply for a few reasons first of all the vaccine has not been rolled out completely I think the uh, this federal Morrison government is almost uh, criminally responsible for the the uh, to roll out, or as uh, the BL from the Bush would call it, a stroll out. Now, if we were to have a have an election today, people would not vote against Morrison simply because the rollout has not taken place. Now, that might be a reason. Uh, why he doesn't have or doesn't want the rollout to go ahead straight away. The other reason is, and unfortunately, people will not vote against a government that gave them money. Employers got money, workers got money, um, and unfortunately, workers aren't getting too much money these days unless you're um, employed by Qantas and you happen to be a, um, a, a, a steward or a captain. Or a CEO. Or a CEO. And the poor buggers who are working on the ground, 
the baggage handlers, the technicians and whatever, they're being thrown out of work. 2,500 of them. Oh. Working class chappies, they don't wear a uniform, do they? They only wear overalls. Oh, right. why pay them? Why pay them? Yeah, well, um, the the rest of those Qantas crew are going to get $750 each for a matter of months while the poor buggers who service the plane who clean the planes, who make sure the planes run and don't crash, uh, will be thrown on the unemployment scrap heap. And you've also got to take into account, Susan, when you look at the population, there are certain people who are still allowed to vote. Well, you look at television these days. You know, you look at programs like, well, we could call it now, I'll, I'll be careful here, Father wants to fuck. And that racist program, um, Big Brother, um, or The Bachelor, or The Bitchula, as I call it, those people are still entitled to vote. And um, that's what will make um, it very hard for um, Anthony Albanese to uh, win the next election. Unless, of course, unless, of course, there is a female leader of the Australian Labor Party, and that can be Penny Wong or Tanya Plibersek. I'm sure that would guarantee the Labor Party getting over the line. Isn't it crazy that we could behave like this? We're looking at not at the party, not at their policies, not at their aims, objectives, their mission statement, but at their leader. Are you banging a microphone bag, man? Oh, I would think. I actually was, Susan. Good. Oh, Thank I'm you. Getting, Please don't. I'm getting carried away. You are, yes, I know. It's the tension. It's the tension. No, look, um, I can think it'd be very nice to have, say, Prime Minister Penny, but I'm I'm looking at the actual Labor Party as much as I can as a whole and what their policies are. Of course it's hard to get rid of the leader thing, but the news poll Ratings and stuff, they're, they're really strange. Remember, Tony Abbott got very low rating from both sides, but it didn't make any difference. He was still, you know, they still got yeah. in. It was still Tony Abbott. Yeah. But then he, went, he, he then went on the onion eating spree. But yeah. anyway, that's my vision for the Labor Party, and we're, we're not anti-Labor at all. We're just disappointed at times, in the Labor Party. And I believe that the one thing that will get the Labor Party over the line is if Anthony Albanese does a Bill Hayden and steps aside for either Penny Wong or Tanya Pugasek. Are you seriously suggesting that Bill Hayden stepped aside? Well, he was the drover's dog. Well, no, Bob Hawke was the drover's dog. They said that even the drover's dog could have won that election when uh, when Bob Hawke was elected. But anyway, Bill Hayden went on to do other things. He'd become the Attorney General or the Governor General of somewhere. That was because that was because he stepped aside, as you so politely put it, without making a fuss in public. He just hurled, hurled a few bits of furniture around, and uh, I believe he punched someone. But but I wasn't in the actual room at that no. time. <laughs> I've not heard that that one, Susan. 
Well, we'll keep, we'll keep that one for the archives. Yes, and yeah. I'll tell you. Well, the person who told me that, who was just two rooms away when this was occurring, yeah. will be dead soon. Oh, really? <laughs> Twelve years older than I am, for heaven's sake. He'll be dead. He could be dead next week. He could be oh. dead now, for all I know. Are you, but, are you not going to give us a clue as to who no, you're referring I'll, to? I'll tell you when he's dead, all right? All right. Okay. <laughs> Shouldn't well, be long. While we're talking about politics, and we should get away from politics, Julian Burnside, who has doing, been doing a great deal for refugees in this country. Now, Julian Burnside is not famous or well-known for his left-wing uh, ideology, but he is quoted as saying, we have a corrupt, hard-wing liberal government led by self-seeking hypocrites. We have a weakened right-wing Labor opposition and we have a country once great now seen as selfish, greedy and cruel and we have no political leadership at all. <sighs> Poor old Julian. Yeah, and when, when Julian comes out and says, look, I, I have another um, uh, a statement from someone you know, I know quite well. As a matter of fact, I was arrested at one of the demonstrations where he turned up. But we only have to go back to 2014 when this man was still alive and could actually say these words. He said, Australia is now known around the world as the most inhumane, the most uncaring and the most selfish of all wealthy countries. Now, when we start quoting Malcolm Fraser, we, we really are in a desperate situation. Well, it just shows you how far to the right the whole society has shifted. But I was thinking of, mm. um, I was thinking of poor Julian in a tweet. You saw that, and he uh, compared Israel to Nazi regime. Oh, we can't do that. No, Josh Frydenberg oh, went no. over the hill. Oh, he went oh, mad. Shit. Oh, it's a wonder he's still in the country. Yes, yeah, the wonder he wasn't shot. Don't give anybody any ideas, Susan. Oh, no, oh, I'm sorry, I don't. Which one? I wouldn't want anyone to go and shoot Josh Frydenberg. That wouldn't be good at all. That's not no. a nice thing to do. And someone would take it as being anti-Semitic. And sometimes, bag man, I get quite annoyed when someone says to me, oh, you're being anti-Semitic. I'm saying I'm not an anti-Semite. I have nothing against Jews or Arab or any other people belonging you know, to that region of the world. But I anti-Zionism. That's right. You're allowed to be anti-Zionist. Mm. Absolutely. Um, without people um, either complaining about what you say or people taking legal action against you. Because the way the Palestinians are treated leads you to believe just what Julian Burnside said and um, take it into account. I mentioned Justin Hem, H-E-M-M-E-S. Yes, he owned last week. Hotel. Mary Vale, CEO. Yes. Yeah. The one um, who's up for $126 million in wage debt. Oh, gee, so, that's it. So, so I've been asked to give his name again because the person who was listening last week missed the name. He'd been drafted by the federal government to provide economic and workplace advice 
in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Just the man you want for good workplace advice. He owes $126 million that he, he stole from his workers. And as we said last week, Susan, when we were talking about this character, he is about to, or he has, already started a foray into Victoria buying hotels here, and you can expect exactly the same treatment if you work for him. Um, at the same play, uh, same thing to take place here, but $126 million in wage theft. My God. It's almost too, too much to put your tongue around. Mm. But before we go, Susan, because I know we're getting up, uh, a few weeks ago there was a, a, a couple of words um, that we haven't or we haven't heard all that much in your lifetime and my lifetime. One was trolled. You remember the word trolled? I'm waiting for a chance to use it. Well, it referred to a, sen- a national senator who was trolled in Parliament and she was maggoted. In other words, she was pissed out of her brain. And that's unfortunately the problem with Parliament House is that there is no testing for, uh, for, uh, for parliamentarians to make sure that they're sober to make decisions that affect you and me. Anyway, trolled and maggoted. I think we should put those words into the Australian lexicon. lexicon. Mm. Now, I, I don't know where I got that word from, but it just came tumbling out. Okay. Um, well, it's about time. Next week, we're going to talk about the AIDS newspaper and the AIDS newspaper that I believe is corruptly taking money uh, from Harvey Norman and Clive Palmer, but believe that in a bang. So let's go out in the same old way, Susan. Why not? You have to struggle. Dare to win. You don't fight. You lose. You're bloody losing, mate. See you now. Bye now.
the media in this country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth. And the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths. Until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story our way, and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning, well, people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare and spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in, it's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media as a warfare against our people and so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're, they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Kafirs are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafirs and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. We're your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kufiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter.